This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dave, it's happening. Can you believe it is happening? We're finally getting the Snyder Cut. The Snyder Cut to the Justice League that was taken over by Joss Whedon, obviously. Are you are you excited? Well, I thought it's happening, man. Are we, we've got Steve Morris. So what, That's true. <laughs> that is the, true. We do. <laughs> We're just going to say that right off the bat, I guess. <laughs> uh, I, I, I believe he has some uh, inside information. Uh, yes, we do have uh, this. I'm just going to introduce him, how he introduced himself on his show. Uh, we have filmmaker and directing instructor Steve Morris with us. Steve, it's great having you, man. Oh, it's Great being here. Yeah, excited to talk about this. And yeah, you you technically picked this film uh, yeah. to discuss. A little suspicious uh, for timing. <laughs> various <laughs> reasons. Yeah, do, do you have some sort of insider info? Like, what's going on, man? Absolutely zero insider info. <laughs> I was just as surprised as you guys. It had nothing to do with that. It more had to do with talking about something in a different way than we normally do on the cinephiles yep. and that just seemed like fun but no i mean the snyder cut that's something that's happening yeah is that something you're excited about or i well, mean because people are saying it sets a you know precedent where you know are, are, are more directors going to demand this and things like that like are i are mean you... I, I think this is a unique situation where the guy left the movie before he could finish it another mm-hmm. director came in it is not is a terrible movie in my opinion it's awful um and so you know and i also think it's it's a unique situation too because we're in the middle of this time where a everyone's launching these streaming services and they want to drive content that's unique and uh you know Warner Brothers doesn't have the same cachet that Disney Plus has yeah. you know and they don't have the same so that they want to get someone people to go there that's one reason but the other reason that I think they're doing this is we're in the middle of a pandemic and so all of production has been shut down everywhere and we yep. don't know when production is going to start again and because of that like well here's a property where most of it's already shut And so through post-production and maybe shooting a few things, you can suddenly come with a whole new piece of material where no other studio is going to be able to put out a big movie, a new big movie for a while, you know? Right. Yeah. So I think it's a unique situation. You know, I mean, I think everybody, (laughs) I doubt there's anyone who doesn't see the Snyder Cut coming without some trepidation, you know, I mean, I'm sure, I know they're diehard <laughs> right. Zack Snyder fans. I am not one of them. I think he's a, he is a mixed bag, to say the least. And, um, you know, I, 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 my gut is that it will be a interesting hot mess. That's what I think it's going to be. <laughs> but interesting. I, I, I would ahead, tend dude. to agree. I kind of feel the same way about Zack Snyder. And you did the 300 movie on the Cinephiles. And I, I think that... 
it's okay. I think the mixed bag is okay because I think when it hits, there it really like I'll say this about this movie, Man of Steel. The same thing for Batman uh, versus Superman. There is something visceral about these movies that just kind of hit me in the gut in a weird way, and sometimes I can't even explain what I'm feeling at all times. And then sometimes it's just like, uh, what the heck are they doing here for twenty minutes now? <laughs> Well, I think, you know, it, it was funny because we did 300. 300 is also kind of a mixed movie, in my opinion. Um, but the one thing we can say about Zack Snyder is unequivocally, the guy can create some great images. I mean, oh, he yeah. really, visually, his movies are stunning. And so I think with 300, you know, where you have a story which is based on one of the most dramatic stories in history, literally, and then you have a piece of artwork that he's building off of from Frank Miller, who's one of the great comic book artists of all time. And the story is really simple. I think there, Zack Snyder works the best. Then you go to, you know, you go to Watchmen, where that is, in my opinion, the greatest comic book ever written. You know, it is, it is all, what he had to do then was figure out how to trim it down. And I think he is successful but less successful in Watchmen. There are scenes in it that are amazing and perfect and capture that comic perfectly. And then there are others where you go, oh, it seems to be kind of missing the boat here. And when his sor- and so when his source material goes down, when he has to generate the source material himself, I think he's really out in the weeds. I think he still brings that great visual drive, but the story stuff is where he's weak. I know Dave is a... He's more of a B verse, B verse, uh, Batman v Superman. Um, I love you know, that movie. Despite love it's flaws. he loves it. I I'm, you know, I'm, I like it more than other people. How are you with Man of St- or not Man of Steel? Uh, Batman v Superman. Yeah, I don't love it. Sorry, sorry, Dave. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> you know, one of the things I always say, and we we said it lots of times on the cinephiles. It's great that you love it. You know, you got more of your money's worth than I got. And so I never want to talk someone out of loving a movie. If you, there, there's some movies that I love that nobody else likes. And, and you know, I, I, I certainly think that there are flaws in Batman v Superman that, to me, just throw me out. But, again, you have some incredible visuals, some really interesting ideas. It doesn't all come together for me. Right. And okay. so, I mean, we picked this movie uh, or you picked this movie because, you know, you, you with cinephiles, you know, you talk about a movie that's, you know, beloved and, you know, you you really want to dig deep into the, the, the themes and the filmmaking and all that. Uh, with this one, you said, you know, it's a movie that could have been great, but didn't quite hit the mark. Uh, so, you know, you wanted to kind of get into that a little. Uh, so, yeah, definitely interested to hear uh, your thoughts on this film, ben. you know, to get get dig deep. What what does doesn't Steve like about this movie? Yeah, I want to know um, the critiques because we—I'm sure Ben and I both have some. But I do want to say I think this is our first alien invasion movie that we've done mm. on the show, Ben. Well, I mean, does Close Encounters of the Third Kind count? Oh or? yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, by the yeah. way, Steve, there's a lot of there is a little bit of overlap between blockbuster mentality and cinephiles. <laughs> Um, so, hey, yeah, it's not on purpose, you know. It's uh, I remember one time, yeah, we we had a movie set to do. I think it was Apocalypse Now. Maybe did you guys do Apocalypse Now? We did very early. Okay, yeah, I I think um, I th- yeah, I think we like decided to do it, and then you guys released an episode right before we did, and we we're like, oh, we're gonna seem like copycats now. But anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was when it was released into the theaters, which was an amazing experience. I don't know when that was, sometime last year. Yeah, well, ours our episode is years ago. It was like our. 20th or 30th episode so that was oh, wow. probably back in yeah. 2016 or early 2017 so yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, look 
great movies are great movies. And so, you know, just because we talk about something, you guys, when you talk about it, you're going to bring your own experience. You're going to bring your own thoughts, your own approach to it. And you're going to say totally the reason part of what makes these movies great is the fact that we can all talk about it and they all can live in our lives, you know? So it's, I I don't, you know, if you played our episode, you know, and made all the exact points that we made, well, then I would go, Hey (laughs) guys, let's back it off. But as long as you're expressing your own opinions, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I typically make a habit of not listening to someone else's review until I've talked about it on our show. Uh, so, you know, yeah. I, I can't be a... Go ahead, Dave. That is sort of the way we even approach this show. Even if And, and Steve, I know you do so much research, so much prep, and uh, maybe uh, this is our excuse for not doing as much prep, but we, we tend to go into these movies like with uh, some of them we've never seen before, a lot of the ones we've done. We just kind of go in it with, 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 uh, with virgin eyes in a sense where – you know, I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna read a review. I'm not even gonna check. You know what people think about it. I'm just gonna watch this thing. We're gonna try to do the best we can, almost like an unspoiled review, if that sort of makes sense. We try to kind of do that. Um, that's that's a bit of our approach. I do want to say one thing about the cinephiles because I gushed when John was on the Field of Dreams episodes or the two episodes, Steve. Oh my goodness, you guys! All right, so I'm I'm listening. I'm doing some. I'm painting my back fence, and I'm listening. You guys are sharing your personal stories. And I'm spraying stuff and and trying to paint and all this stuff. And I got tears streaming down my eyes when you guys are going over this stuff. And I'm trying to maintain myself. I have like, I have like sunglasses falling off. And I don't want to. It was just like an un, I, I appreciate that episode so much because sometimes I listen to because I mean, I think I told I told John I listened to probably 80 percent of your of, of your episodes. Uh, and I don't always go back and watch the movie. And then I did. And I, and I was telling my wife about the film because I, I hadn't seen it in many years. That's probably like like eight years old and i watched it and i had the same experience just you know all those scenes and at the end when he when he sees his dad it was just it was crazy stuff so i I do appreciate that episode very much well first of all thank you so much and if we could make a grown man cry while he's doing chores (laughs) i feel like i feel like our work is done um i'm really proud of those episodes too like i mean you know i love making the show it's a lot of work put a lot of you know attention to detail in and some episodes, in my opinion, you're like, ah, oh, that one was kind of just okay. And every once in a while, we do an episode where I go, okay, that one I'm proud of. That one, yeah. you know, and, 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 and I could tell when John and I are having the conversation, and I can definitely tell when I'm editing the episode that things are, something's happening, you know. Right. And, and that's, you know, it's like we put out so many episodes, they're not all going to be home runs. But, right. you know, I'm sure you have the same experience where it's like, oh, yeah, this one something really cool happened. You know, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you. You know, you feel something. Yeah, when 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 it is happening, it's you know, like I told Dave last week. I was uh, you know when we did an episode, I was like, I, I was totally off my game. Like that wasn't my best episode, and you know, so you get those feelings. But when you when you hit an episode where you know you nailed it, it just. Oh, it's the the feeling is just yeah, it, the feeling yeah. is just amazing. Um, real quick, while while we're on to other movies, real quick, I know you're a, a directing ex- instructor. I have you know a kind of a two part question, and you can you know be as brief as you want. Um, I'm, but, I'm, uh, ra- I'm rarely brief. Yeah, that's okay too. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, you know, I, we're, we're respecting your time, so we have all the time in the world. So uh, <laughs> we, um, you know, you're a directing instructor. Is there a movie you can think of off the top of your head that you possibly show your students every single year that is an example of good directing and is there a movie that you show them that 
this is an example of mistakes. I, 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 I never show them professional movies as examples of mistakes. My okay. students make plenty of mistakes on their own for us to discuss. Okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, that the, makes sense. The, the, I mean, part of the going to film school is making mistakes because you, right. you go and you shoot a film and then you get in the editing room and you realize the editing room is the great teacher and that's where you really realize oh I needed a close up here oh the camera's in the wrong place oh the performance isn't quite right I needed a reaction shot and so the mistakes are easy to talk about you know um, in sure. terms of films that I teach there's a whole bunch of films that I use and it depends on the class I mean the ones I go to the, the one I go to the most is probably Jaws because there's okay. just so because it comes up in my class about film scoring, it comes up in my class about building characters, it comes up in my class about shot selection, because it's such a beautifully made film. I mean, but there's also I'll do depending on the semester. You know, I teach BFA and MFA students, and depending on where we are, I might do I do two whole classes on Citizen Kane, just going through it beat by beat, or I do oh, wow. um, we do a class on genres where I'll go through westerns and you know. So there's all sorts of films I pull from that are to, to illustrate things that I'm trying to get my students to understand. Um, there, there's not one in particular. It's much okay. more, what I would say it's more is what's the lesson I'm trying to teach and then finding the film which best uh, articulates the thing that I'm trying to show. Right. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it all depends yeah, on the people and everything. So. Uh, yeah, I was just curious, you know, sure. trying to pick your brain a little. Well, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're interviewing me. <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still honing my interview skills, so <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to get into uh, uh, Man of Steel here. And obviously, I, but you bringing up Jaws, uh, you know, I have to mention, you, obviously, are, you seem to, I, I think you even mentioned it in the Jaws episode. You did a documentary, uh, Great White Shark Beyond the Cage of fear mm -hmm. uh which is yeah just mind-blowing to me that you do you did this so i assume you already have this fascination with with sharks do, uh did you see the documentary i have not i have not oh, full disclosure yeah i know i need to check it out it's on amazon prime it's it's very good. oh is it yeah okay free. yeah i'll definitely check it out um, then uh i don't have a fascination with sharks um, okay. What you know? You know, there's that great John Lennon line: "Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans." <laughs> yeah. You know, I fell into doing nature documentaries. It wasn't intention. You know, I was a comic book guy and a narrative guy and writing screenplays and a playwright and theater and that's what I wanted to do. But my first jobs out of film school, like my first professional jobs, was like editing those bonus materials on DVDs and stuff. So I was cutting all these behind the scenes stuff, which strangely enough relates a lot to the cinephiles unintentionally. And right. because I was doing all this work editing and I had worked for, I'd work, I don't know if you remember the movie Step Into Liquid, which is the surfing movie. Um, and it's made by Dana Brown, who's the son of Bruce Brown, who made Endless Summer. So okay. I edited more. There's more stuff that I edited on that disc than the actual movie. I edited like two and a half, three hours worth of material, a lot of which I shot, a lot of the interviews I shot. And because of that, I met Bruce Brown, and Bruce Brown is a buddy with this guy, Mike Hoover. And when Mike Hoover was looking for someone to edit a promo on his first, not his first, on, on my first Great White Shark film, which was for CBS, he, I, he'd got my name. So I went and edited a promo. He said, do you want to edit the whole movie? So I edited the whole movie and writing all their narration. And then that's what brought me. I started working for the Cousteaus and did edited a bunch of stuff with them and did writing for them. And then that's what led me to doing the second Great White Shark film, Beyond the Cage of Fear with Hoover. 
um, as the director and editor and narrator. So it wasn't intentional at all. And what was so right. weird about it is that I'm hanging out with all these people that are obsessed with nature and that want to get in the water with animals. And they're so excited. And I'm there on a boat off the coast of Mexico <laughs> as people are doing shark dives. And I'm not one of them. You know, right. I'm like a filmmaker guy. But I actually <laughs> think that was an advantage because I looked at it in a different way. And we made what I think is a really, really different film from the kind you would see on Shark Week or anywhere else. Yeah. You know, because I come from a different perspective. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Like you said, you're not a big shark guy. So <laughs> it's definitely got to be unique. So I'm definitely going to check that. I didn't well, realize it was on Amazon Prime. Well, and one, one other thing I'll, I'll say is that what the movie is really about isn't about sharks. I mean, obviously, it's about sharks. And that's what we're studying. But it's really about fear. And it's really about, you know, sharks are one of the number one feared things in the world. And yet they kill about eight to 10 people worldwide a year. They're right. so bottom of the barrel threat to humans. And so what the real issue is, is how do we magnify these fears? How does the media magnify these fears? How do we get obsessed with them? And how do we, do we figure out how to take risks? What risks are justified? What risks are unjustified? And that's really what the movie is about. That's why it's beyond the cage of fear. It's how do we move past fear? Right. I, and I don't know if you talk about this in the documentary, but I mean, I would assume Jaws has a lot to do with that fear. Uh, I know for me as a kid, that's what introduced me to being afraid of sharks. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, you know, if... Well, if, if, if 100%. Okay. Oh, <laughs> that, totally. That makes sense. Uh, on the first shark doc I did, there was a, there was a line... Uh, you're always when you're doing interviews, you're always looking for the good line, you know, the, the really exciting, dramatic thing that's short to the point, well said that you can cut in, you know, and I had a guy great, great uh, interview who's a shark scientist named Mark Marks, and he had what might have been the best line. And I didn't put it in the documentary, because it was too brutal. But this is the okay. line. He said, Spielberg is to sharks as Hitler is to the Jews. Oh, wow. Interesting. Now, now that's how you see what I mean. It's short. It is profound. It's unfair. Like Spielberg had nothing against sharks. And and, and what, what, what I finally decided and the reason I didn't put it in the movie was that 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 line acts as what I call a speed bump which is that the audience is flowing along, watching the film, and this thing hits them, and it hits them in the face. And then they go, whoa, and they have to think about it, and then they'll miss the next 15 seconds of the right. movie because yeah. that was too much. And so yeah. I said, no, this, it's, it, it actually sends the movie in the wrong direction. But the reality is, is that humans kill around 100 million sharks a year. Sharks kill about eight humans. We have all this stuff about saving dolphins, saving killer whales, saving all these animals. Nobody gives a shit about saving sharks because they're the demons. <laughs> and that really, that, that image of, of Chrissy going into the water and getting killed at the beginning of Jaws is indelibly put into our brains as the mindless yep. eating machine. That's how we see sharks. It's not remotely true, but sure. that's how we see them. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that line is is quite powerful, and yeah, that could totally take you out. It's kind of like when in, in a comedy when you like everyone's laughing and you're like you're laughing too, and then you're missing like the, like you said the, like next fifteen seconds. Like even though it's a comedy, I'm sure that you know it's not important plot points that you're missing, but still, you know, well, in a way, <laughs> it takes you a, out of the flow. In a way, not not to make your segue for you, but it kind of relates to uh, Man of Steel to me a little bit, which yeah. is that. 
uh, and this is a, f- a phrase I got from Hoover, the guy who I really learned from on these documentaries, is he calls it on the line and off the line. And he doesn't mean downloading internet stuff. What it means is everything that you have in a film should contribute to the overall theme and story that you're trying to do. And, and there are sometimes you have things that are awesome, but they actually don't contribute to the overall thing. And those are what he calls off the line. And you, take, you should take them out, even though they're great. And that is a yeah. really, really difficult thing to do as a filmmaker. And I assume that happens in the editing room mostly, or well, it happens that... throughout the entire process. I mean, okay. it happens in the it happens in the writing room. It happens in development. It happens in casting. It happens in the way you shoot it because time and money is a zero sum game. So you only have even with a huge movie like Man of Steel, you only have so many resources, and so. What you choose to point your camera on and what you choose not to is really, really important. You know, sometimes it's a look, a reaction shot from a character that tells you the most important thing in that scene. And so right. missing that because you see, oh, this person overheard someone saying this thing. And now that they know that, they've, you know, they, they overheard that the person that they thought was in love with them was lying. You know, well, the reaction shot of them hearing that is the most important thing in the scene. And there might be right. other things that would be really interesting that you would shoot and you'd forget that reaction shot. And so, so it's, it, it happens on the set and absolutely 100% it happens in post. Now, like said, segue <laughs> into yeah. Man of Steel and we'll get into that, obviously. Uh, Dave, what, what's, let's start with you. What, what, what's your, uh, for lack of better term, what's your relationship with Superman? Um, I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself a big, a big Superman guy. Uh, I don't, I wasn't I was also unlike Steve, I uh, wasn't a comic book guy. Um, so sort of like, it's more of like, does the movie kind of give me, you know, does it make me interested? And I saw the old Superman ones I actually went back and watched the, the original Superman 78 today while I was not feeling so hot on the couch. Um, and it does the character itself doesn't do anything for me other than what I, I think some of the elements that that Zack Snyder brought in this movie. And let me maybe explain a little further. I don't want to be Superman. I don't like I mean, I look up to him as a, you know, a greater than 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 man, a mythical figure. But I don't want his burdens. I don't even necessarily want his strengths as opposed to like Batman. I'd rather be Batman kind of a thing. Um or like a different, or, or like you know, I'd rather be Tony Stark kind of a person. So Superman is sort of like, kind of hard to touch, if that makes yeah. sense. No, I mean that, that that makes sense. I mean, first of all, I mean it's hard to strive to be something that you know that above us. Um, but uh, but yeah, I you know you can live up to the values, everything like that. Uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, the same way. I was definitely more of a Batman guy growing up, and basically for me it was whatever my older brother was watching that's what i watched so whatever he watched uh, that was that was the choice i had to make so um and we would watch uh, the batman movie the adam west one uh mainly uh so i actually didn't see the 78 superman until later on in life but you know i i i do like this version of superman you know aspects of it steve what uh are you are you a superman guy okay it's so it's a it's a big deal for me and and uh i've told this story on the cinephiles before when uh my dad was a kid he had a comic book collection of super dc comics superman batman from the late 40s and early 50s oh wow and the day his first day of high school his mom threw away all his comics because she felt like now it was time for him to start becoming a grown-up 
So, Ouch. Uh, so just take a moment with the pain of that story. <laughs> yeah, really bad. <laughs> hundreds, of, hundreds of thousands Horrible. of dollars of comics. And so when <laughs> I was a kid, my dad brought home, I should have been a Marvel guy because growing up when I did, DC comics were pretty bad. But my dad, if I was sick, if it was a, a holiday, my birthday, my dad would bring home Superman and Batman comics. And, and I know that this is an audio podcast, but you're looking at me in video. Yes. There we go. Show you this. <laughs> oh man! Can from I got when I was five years old. Oh wow! Um, That's it's a garbage can that has the number one issues of Action Comics, first appearance of Wonder Woman, number one Detective Comics. It is beat up and battered, and I've had it for forty six years. <laughs> and wow. if you look over here, here again, I know we're on audio, but if we look over there and you see maybe a bunch of white boxes. Uh huh. That's my yeah. comic book collection. Wow! And oh, I you. was a huge. I, I stopped collecting twenty years ago, but I had at one point every Superman comic. I mean, I still do. I have every Superman comic from about nineteen sixty to the mid nineties. So, okay. so to say Superman was a big deal to me. <laughs> Superman was a big deal to me. As I grew older, he ceased to be my favorite character. You know, Batman is a much more interesting character. Spider-Man, much more interesting. Wolverine, there's so many better comics that came along. Superman comics generally weren't very good. But I didn't know that when I was seven years old. And so as a kid, Superman was super, super special to me. All right, so Steve, I want to ask you this then. To what extent does your personal relationship with this character uh, affect how how you view... And how you're able to approach like or dislike the way uh, all these movies have been made and, and, and sort of being able to critique them. Um, in that I w- sense. So here's what I say. Obviously, we all have biases. And so, of course, I'm biased. And my background with Superman, you know, makes me biased. <laughs> but honestly, my objections to Man of Steel have nothing to do or have very little to do with the fact that a lot of people talk about they got Superman wrong or they got Jonathan Kent wrong. I, I tend yeah. to agree with those criticisms, but that's not my problem with the movie. If they had got, if they had made a different choice with Superman and it had been awesome, I would have been behind it. The problem isn't that they made different choices. The problem is that they didn't thematically connect them in ways that were emotionally resonant. That's my problem with the film. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, go ahead, Dave. Sorry, just last. Does this apply to the other iterations, like the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman? I, Christopher, stuff like that? The Christopher Reeve or, Superman is the archetype. That one and and that movie, okay. and you just watched it today. It is really slow mm-hmm. at this point. It is a yeah. very, very. I would call the pace languid to the point of pain compared <laughs> to today's films. But in terms of character, Christopher Reeve is the defining version of Superman. You know. Yeah, but we get it like a, a fun kind of bumbling Clark Kent, which is completely missing from this movie. And I, you well, know, they, I guess that's, it's, I mean, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, again, that's where I go. That's their choice. Their choice is that the, the tag is Clark yeah. Kent. And I'm totally fine with that. Like, and if you wanted to do their Clark Kent's, the Clark Kent on the TV show that I grew up with, with um, uh, George Reeves is uh, a tough guy. He's not bumbling in any way. And so they're different versions. Just as like, if you look at, the Adam West Batman to the Tim Burton Batman to the animate Batman the animated series to the Chris Nolan Batmans those are different and that's okay very much and that's so okay. yeah you know yeah 
Well, in yeah, I mean, obviously, this this is a lot different. I mean, for, so I mean, yeah, kind of jumping into this thing. I mean, obviously, we won't go scene by scene or yeah, anything. We, it's not, it's not with the cinephiles. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're you know, we didn't do that much research. Research, you know, when when did production? We pride began? ourselves in our laziness. You know, uh, Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, getting into this thing, uh, we have we it starts off on Krypton uh, as the original does, and it, it actually shows the birth of Kal El, uh, which. Uh, later becomes known as Clark Kent slash Superman. Uh, but yeah, we get the whole world of Krypton here. We get uh, Russell Crowe. Uh, what, uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this depiction of Krypton? I, I think it looks really cool. I think the designs are really interesting. I think the world they create is really interesting. And would you like to hear my radical opinion about this? Uh, 120%. It's not possible. You can't have more than 100% on anything. Um, uh, I would have cut it. I should have known you would have said something like that. Yeah, what a a jerk. Um, If if I were the executive in charge of planning this production, I would have cut Krypton entirely out of the movie. Why is that? So this goes to this idea of what is the theme of the film that I think is so muddled. Let me ask you this question first. If you think about yeah. that movie, what is the most moving, powerful part of the film? Uh, him watching his dad die? That's one of them. No, Well, to me, <laughs> it is 100% Clark as a kid. It is Clark in the closet to, who can't deal with his powers. It's the scene yeah. where yeah. The, the school, school bus. bus. It's the scene where he yeah. finds out that he's an alien and he says, can't I just go on pretending I'm your son? And dad says, you are my yeah. son. Yeah. No, yeah. That's, that is yeah. moving. Like to me now, I have a son who's adopted, so that scene in particular is moving to me now. But it, you know, sure. I didn't have that kid when I saw the movie when it came out. Right. To me, the core of the film is who am I? That is the essence. Is that Clark Kent doesn't know who he is, and he doesn't know who he is supposed to be. And if and, and the first act of the film, which is the flashback structure with him just looking freaking awesome and huge with the beard you know and and all all of that sequence where we see him kind of as the wandering guy and then we also see uh him flashing back to his life as a kid i think that stuff is great well i'll say i agree a lot because i was thinking about this too because and i mostly because i went back and watched the original again and it's almost the same amount of time spent on krypton um it's about yes, 17, 20 minutes, 20 yeah. minutes, somewhere around there. Yeah. And, and the interesting part, although I will say this version of Krypton with the, the planet core exploding is a lot better than a giant sun that's apparently closing on the planet that should be obvious yeah. to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, look over there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You see that? It's, like, it's coming. Like, yeah. uh, anyways, but particularly, Steve, my, my sort of thought on that was let's just crunch this to five minutes and maybe be better. Maybe maybe but knocking it out altogether because essentially Russell Crowe retells the entire 20 minutes to Henry Cavill like later on in the film. It's like we're just getting like almost a beat by beat retelling of what we already saw in the beginning. So why did why was this even in the movie to begin with? Well, so I think and, that's and here's the thing. I think. Part of, part, part, trying to figure out what happens in the development process that got you where you got you. You know, my assumption about this film, and I didn't do any research either, which is not like me, but wow. my <laughs> assumption about this film is there were a lot of cooks in this kitchen. And my guess okay. is they said, ooh, we just got Russell Crowe to play Jor-El. And then they said, we need more stuff for him to do. And so Krypton became bigger to make, a, make it worth it to have Russell Crowe. 
One of the things I talk about in my class is the idea that the audience can be with the character, in front of the character, or behind the character. Um, and what this means, so Hitchcock frequently would do in front of the character. We know something the character doesn't know. We know there's a bomb right. under the ground. The character doesn't know it. And the tension, the suspense, comes from that knowledge. Sometimes we have characters that know things that we don't. So they look through the door, and they see a thing and react to it, and we're going, what's behind the door? So they're ahead of us. Yeah. In this movie, I think we should have been with Clark. And of course, we all know Clark's an alien. We know he came to Krypton. We all know that stuff. But having Krypton means we know all the stuff that he doesn't know. We know who General Zod is. We know the relationship with Jor-El. We know about the Codex and whatever that crap is, which is not, not very well done in the film, is that if you just started with this guy who's on this crab fishing boat, who's flashing back to his childhood, we would be with him. And the question, right. and it brings yeah. the question forward of who am I? Right. And that's a great theme for this movie is who am I? And that's what he's trying to discover as he's going from town to town, trying to get to what he's getting to, where eventually, you know, here's the uh, military men kind of talking about this thing that was found. Um, but my question to you is, uh, you know, uh, I agree that, yeah, Krypton at least was a little too long. Um, I love the world and everything and, it's and what it looked like. I think the imagery it's really well was, it's really Yeah, well imagery was great. But uh, I was getting I, feelings of Avatar, oh, like yeah, when he was flying. Totally. He was yeah. on that thing. I was like, What's, what are we uh, doing here? How, though, would you explain Zod showing up, uh, you know, if if that wasn't in? And how would you get his motivations and or understand his motivations? So, so if you had hung out with me in bars after seeing films, <laughs> You would know that sometimes do it. I start rewriting the movie. Okay. okay. Here is, That's if, awesome. Th- and this goes into, if I were making this movie, what would I do? Again, going, the theme is who am I? And that, therefore, the conclusion of the film is that he becomes Superman. He needs, to beco- he needs to figure out who he is in order to become the person that he's going to become. And so that creates the structure of the film. And in my mind... Clark Kent has two fathers. He has Jonathan Kent, the human, and he has Jor-El, the Kryptonian. And that part of who am I is determining where he sits between the val- these two sets of values. Okay? Here's what I would do. The way Zod shows up now is he shows up immediately threatening the Earth. That's the first thing he does. So we immediately know that he's the bad guy. Here's what I would do. Clark is wandering around. He's, he's, he's the man in the woods wandering around trying to figure out who he is. And who shows up but General Zod, who says, Clark, your name is Kal-El. My name is Jor-El. I'm your father. Oh. Yeah, because we don't know who – well, we – yeah. Like, sorry. Let me get my thoughts. The movie does a way of, like, introducing you things and, like, letting them, letting them hang for a few minutes before telling you what's going on. Because it's like, well, why, why do they want Clark exactly. to begin with? And – and then we get the, oh, he tells him who he is. Yeah, so why, yes, I agree well, 100%, because, Steve. That would be much better. What we get voice. is that he meets Jor-El, who just explains everything to him. Exposition in general mm-hmm. is death to films. Is that, is that what makes films work <laughs> is mystery. What makes films work is our desire to know. And what makes films work is discovering the information at the moment that is most dramatic and important. If Zodko shows up and says, I'm Jor-El, and if instead of being a clear, and he's a great actor, the guy's a great actor, but yeah. inst- he's clearly yeah. playing like, I'm the bad guy. Right. Zod shouldn't think that he's the bad guy. Zod has a motivation, and the motivation is to recreate Krypton, to save his planet. And so in doing so, he should be the most charming person in the world. And he should be trying to convince Kal-El 
No, no, you're not a human. You're a Kryptonian. And therefore, and the tension between, again, this now relates to the theme of who am I? Is that you have dad saying, this is what my values are, Jonathan Kent. And then you have an imposter trying to manipulate him into believing a certain set of beliefs. And then you can have Kal-El follow that. Oh, maybe that is who I am. I finally know who I am. I'm a Kryptonian and actually like Zod. And then discover that Zod is not his father. And then discover that Zod is a bad guy and have to turn on this person. And now we're into a movie of, oh, now I have to figure out how to define myself. That is how I would rewrite yeah. that film. Well, I, I like that. Uh, I like that seduction what? angle very I mean, much. So it would it would do a lot more. Than, go ahead, no, then. I just I, I have to pick your brain. Uh, you, you know, you said something along the lines of uh, exposition is kind of the what the death to film. Death. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, is there a, an example of good exposition? Well, the best exposition in the world is the one where you didn't notice it. Oh. Okay. Do you have an example? Uh, sure. Uh, let's see. Let me think. It's, uh, there's so many of them. Not to put you on the spot. Um, Jurassic Park. We have Sam Neill, who is out as a paleontologist as a dig, and he's and this little kid says to him, oh, man, velociraptors aren't that scary. And he advances on the kid and describes a velociraptor attack and scares the crap out of him. <laughs> Now, right. that is a scene that's actually giving you a ton of exposition that's all going to come back, that they hunt in pairs, that they sense motion. Unlike He says, unlike the T-Rex, the Velociraptor doesn't just see on movement. He says all this stuff. But you're not going, I'm getting an exposition yeah. dump. You're going like, oh, we're seeing him really scare the crap out of this kid in a really funny way. And it's doing another thing, which is because good filmmaking always does more than one thing at once. Because Sam Neill's character in Jurassic Park doesn't like kids. And one of the essential conflicts with um, uh, his uh, girlfriend with, uh, what's her name? Uh, Ellie. Yeah, with Ellie. Um is that she wants to have kids and he doesn't want to have kids. And then one of the great changes from the book is in the book, he does like kids. And in the book, he's with the kids and he likes kids. In the movie, he doesn't like the kids, doesn't want to be around the kids and comes to like the kids by the end of the film. <laughs> and so this scene where he describes yeah. the Velociraptor attack is, yes, it's giving you some exposition, doesn't feel like exposition, and it's doing all sorts of other heavy lifting for the film. Yeah, sort of lets you figure it out for yourself rather than beating you over the head with a well, hammer. And, and have you, you guys done Jurassic Park yet? We have, we have. It's a good oh, one. It's a two-parter. It. I was going to say we beat you to it, but never mind. Um, um. <laughs> and by the way, if you want to look at good exposition, Spielberg is the best. Because we right, go into yeah. the basic rules of filmmaking of show, don't tell. Is that I don't want, if I have to have someone come on and explain what's going on, which in Man of Steel happens multiple times. We have Jor-El give a big exposition dump. We have Zod give a big exposition dump. Instead of, those things are, yeah. what does Clark do? He's just sitting there and listening. Because what's really happening is that they have to tell, they have to explain it to us. Right. That's where we start yeah, to the, tune out of films. Right. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you know that they're just, uh, the audience doesn't get it. Let's explain it to the audience. Yep. You're not connecting with the characters yeah. at that point then. You're just connecting with yourself saying, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, is what I'm kind of... Another thing I'd like to mention about Zod before we get off. What did you think, Steve and Ben, about the idea of they brought in sort of genetics into this story. And I don't know how much that was in the comic book of what was going on on Krypton. Because, you know, uh, um, I'm sorry, Superman was, or 
he was the first what natural birth in hundreds of years or something like that. I felt like it cheapened Zod as a villain. To, essentially, he was who he is based on his genetics. He wasn't even he was almost like an automaton. He was something created in a lab to be this guy. Um, so I don't know what you guys if you guys felt that way or he was just he was bred to be this jackass right so is he I don't know it it doesn't it doesn't it makes him a lot less compelling um, to me I have Sorry, several opinions because this brings up multiple issues I think with the film so I always have a lot of opinions <laughs> you guys are, you guys we love it to hey. files. Um, that's, that's why you're here so here's the thing so first of all I I haven't read Superman comics in 25 years. So it might very well be that this genetic stuff and natural birth stuff is in the comics more recently than what I read. I don't know. Um, what I think, what, what, again, and this goes into whether or not it's good filmmaking, is all of the stuff, like Clark has all the genes of the planet Krypton or something in him. That's the plot. Yeah. Zod, if you want to say that Zod has been bred to be this ultimate warrior defender guy, he's genetically engineered for that. We say it, but we don't show it. It's the same as this exposition thing. If that were the case, he shouldn't fight. Jor-El should not be able to fight toe-to-toe with him. In fact, you should see in the first scene that he is a total freaking badass. And right. show that he's a badass rather than having him to explain it but never do it is pointless. To sh- <laughs> I'm a yeah. badass. Don't so, you understand? So, and, then, and then it also relates to the final fight scene between the two of them. And, and I think that fight a lot of people talk about it's problematic because of all the destruction and clark doesn't help save people and i totally agree with that i think that's a problem i also think it's just bad fight scene i don't think because what they yeah, do is just yeah. one guy hits one guy and the other guy hits the other guy and he says i was trained as a warrior i spent my whole life training as a warrior what were you trained as a farmer but we don't right. see the yeah. manifestation of that truth we don't see what should happen if that's the case is Zod should completely kick the shit out of him with great fighting technique. That's real. There's like one sequence where it looks like he knows how to fight. Other than that, they're just, you know, slamming each other into buildings and Clark right. should be totally right. overmatched. Superman shouldn't be able to fight back because he doesn't have the technique. And then he should have to learn something in the course of the fight scene. And again, this is, I am becoming Superman in terms of how to defeat this guy. Mm-hmm. He has to outsmart him. He has to outmaneuver him. Maybe it's that he's much more experienced with his powers and Zod is not experienced with his powers. And we under, you know, like there's the moment in Wrath of Khan where Spock says to Kirk that Khan's strategy represents two dimensional thinking. And then we go, ah, yeah, the solution yes. is I'm going to move in, in, the, in three dimensions in the, in the Z axis. Well, yep. that's what needs to happen in yes. this movie, but it doesn't really happen. In fact, what happens is that he no. actually outfights him. And gets him in a chokehold. Yeah, great point. But one of my problems was, I thought the movie was over. <laughs> Can we we kiss? You know, you kiss the girl. Okay, let's wrap it, Ben. Right? Instead, we get another like fifteen minutes of fighting. <laughs> just yeah, just <laughs> blowing through buildings. That that is definitely one thing that bothered me was the the destruction was just overwhelming, and it was like, and at the end, it's like, oh, I'm a member of the Daily Planet now, and everything's well, peaches and, and, and cream. Everyone <laughs> is just standing around watching the fight scene. Like, if the city were destroyed like that, there would be. Perry Perry White should be trying to save people or reporting or right. something. You know, there should be ambulances. There should be people. I mean, there's, you know, you think that's like 5911s have happened. And you think right. about how many police and fire and rescues and doctors and it's not there. We're all just sitting there going, look at these guys fly around. It's crazy. <laughs> Do you guys see this? Although it does set narrative wise for. I'm sorry. It does set narrative wise for Batman versus Superman because we do kind of see that fallout. I think that's um, brilliant. So I, uh, I think uh, the fact that Bruce Wayne yeah. is there 
And when I saw that in the trailer, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, that's a brilliant thing to. I don't think they did that much with it, or I don't think they did the right stuff with it. I okay. No, I was just going to speak on casting real quick. Uh, Zod, I love, love, love Michael Shannon. I, I don't think he was the right choice for Zod. Um, I think it was, I don't know, just something about it, just something the way he delivered his lines, uh, especially at the beginning when he kept saying, like, I will find him. I will find him and I will find him. Like uh, we know. Okay. Uh, it, like it just didn't work for him. And, and uh, I mean, that, uh, I assume has to do with the writing and, and the directing, you know, having him do it that many times. But for me, uh, I don't think uh, Michael Shannon was the right choice. What do you guys think? So I 120% agree with what you just said. Ha Steve, we don't go over 100%, so I don't know. Oh, what, yeah. damn it. You can't that do that. Make sense. Damn it. The um, answers. Uh, <laughs> but I actually, my gut, and again, I don't know because we're not on, the, we, I wasn't on the set. My gut is it's the writing and it's the directing. I don't, I don't yeah. blame the actor. He's a really good actor. Oh, I've yeah, I love play him. a lot of different stuff. He, yeah. the, the, the choice that's made with this character is this is the bad guy. And, and, and like, and, and I think, I, I'm not a fan of bad people who do bad things because they're bad. I don't like that. And there's a really good motivation that yeah, they give him, which is, I am the protector of Krypton. Like, that's my, my whole mission is to, and therefore, since all of Krypton is now in the Codex or whatever that is, my job is to save that and bring Krypton back to life. That's a fantastic motivation. You don't have to be a bad guy. The problem is, he makes that speech about being the protector of Krypton at the end of the movie, when he's about to right. fight Superman. And it's like, yeah. well, if, if we didn't already know it, Saying it at the end of the movie is too late. And if we did know it, saying it at the end of the movie is unnecessary. What right. we should have done was really known this guy is passionate. He should be. So Jor-El is passionately trying to save Krypton. Zod should be too. They should be both trying to do the same thing with different methods. But that's not what we see. We don't yeah. feel like, oh my God, Zod, you know, Krypton's about to die. He's doing everything in his power to save it. And we might not like his methods. We don't feel like that. We feel like here's the bad guy. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe we can make a deal. Uh, uh, Clark Kent or uh, Jor-El can give him maybe a pint of his blood and you can uh, put the world engine on exactly. Mars or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that, that would be something but, else but here. That, that would be more interesting. Like, what if Clark, what if Superman's saying, <laughs> I want to help you save Krypton, but I don't want to destroy the Earth and try, mm -hmm. trying to find a way exactly. to help. And then, right. but that was I won't do it. There is something tragic about about this story, though. With with, with Krypton, it's it's doomed, right? There's in in both yeah. films, and I, I can't get the seventy eight version out of, out of my head. But it's like, no, we're all dead. Like there is no escaping. There's something final about what they're saying that's happening to Krypton. It's not. There is no salvaging it. It's just you, Jor-El, by yourself on your own. And this vision of bridging the two worlds was just never going to happen. And I don't I don't know. That it has to be that way, but that seems to be what, what these movies are well, always saying. I mean, it's so. a crazy idea that a bunch of scientists would be saying that there's some kind of disaster coming <laughs> and a bunch of other people don't listen to them right up until the end of Death of the Planet. That just seems like a That's crazy not thing. That's not relatable at no. all to what's, you know. I'll never, I, I, I'll never believe yeah. such a thing. It's poppycock. Uh, <laughs> you have the, the Lois Lane, obviously, has got to be in this movie, played by the wonderful Amy Adams. Um, she, again, I keep, you know, throwing it on you guys, but what, what, what do you think of how this was handled? She basically, you know, uh, goes to the where that 
spaceship is, whatever you want to call it, with jo- where Jor-El is and where Clark Kent eventually finds him. She then traces down Clark Kent after all that, traces down where he worked, all that. So she knows Clark Kent right away. Uh, for some reason, this this threw me off and kind of rubbed me the wrong way that she already she knew his identity so quickly. Am I am I the only one who thought that? What uh, what do you guys think? I'll just quickly jump in and say I disagree. <clears throat> I kind of like the way she finds him out and the way they kind of almost find each other in a sense. And I think the two of them have really good chemistry on screen and sure like kind of forcefulness punches through. Uh, this kind of stand up to him, so I thought she was great, and I thought the two of them were great. But uh, I'll hand it off to Steve for him uh, to poke holes. No, I'm, I actually agree. Uh, uh, I, first of all, I think Amy Adams is amazing. I think she is a phenomenal yeah. actor, and I and I and I say this with all, uh, t- t- huge respect. I think this is probably her worst per- worst performance, or maybe Batman v Superman is. And again, not her fault. There's just not that much there yeah. for her. Right. But whatever she does is right. really good. I like what she's doing. Yeah. I think that um, I actually this. You know, I said at the beginning, if they go in a different direction, and I'm uh, and I like that direction, even though it's different from what I grew up with, I'm totally fine with it. And and in this case, yeah. I think it's a totally interesting choice to go the other way and say, we're not going to have tension around she, you know, because the idea that like this guy puts on glasses and suddenly she can't recognize him is, <laughs> is always been ridiculous. And so they go, yeah, screw it. And I love the final line. Welcome to the planet. I think that is a great right. line because yeah. it's a perfect yeah. double meaning. Um, right. And the fact that she knows I'm like, I'm totally fine with it. Um, I wish they gave her more yeah. interesting things to do. By the way, uh, Dave, you brought up the, Finding Jor-El as the AI on the ship stuff. Oh, that's the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's literally Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> like, this, this AI just comes yeah. and rescues them. And then, right. and then later on, the, the AI has a long conversation with Zod, where, again, it's totally expositional. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is not, what are we here for? <laughs> that guy's dead a long time ago. Why are we having this conversation? Right. We did yeah. this already. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to pose to Steve, the, there's, there is this, who am I theme, but there's also like the, it's essentially like, it's a coin. The flip side of that coin is for us on earth, which is what happens when a God comes down to earth? What do we do? That's a heavy one throughout this film and Batman versus Superman. Um, And I think both of those things working together is really, really interesting. And before I hand it off to just get your thoughts on that is that's what I kind of want to say about what I like about this movie is I just kind of like where it puts my head. I like where where it gets me kind of thinking and kind of makes me feel and I it, like just you know that kind of process. And yeah, and there is crap and we certainly picked through it, but uh, I do like the the ideas uh, of this film and and of course and I, I can't help but can put B versus S uh, with that. But uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I I'll stop talking I now. like the idea yeah. too. And my my problem is they don't make it work that well. So, so again, we establish this idea thematically, yeah. and particularly with Jonathan Kent, whose death I do have a problem with, but I'll accept it with the idea of we're afraid of how the world is going to react to you. Okay? And, yeah, exactly. But they don't really deliver on that because we don't spend enough time with how the world is reacting to this guy. And, in fact, they react pretty well. 
Like, if you yeah. look at original Superman, you have just a great sequence that warms my heart of Superman's first night of rescue. He rescues Lois from the helicopter in 78, the 78 Superman. You know, the cat out of the tree, he stops the robbery, and everyone goes like, wow, thanks, Superman. And, <laughs> every, and there's just this outpouring of love, right? So what this movie should have done, if you wanted to explore that theme, is do the opposite sequence. Superman shows up and everyone yeah. is terrified. Show bad show consequences. Bad consequence, yeah. Show that the army doesn't trust him. Because yeah. what happens is he surrenders himself and then he breaks his things and then they kind of trust him. And now we're all working together. Although they were kind of, they were trying to blow him up through most of the Smallville battle, by the way, <laughs> which was itself kind of problematic because I don't know what, there, there yeah, felt like there was I, no stakes totally, on that battle. Even though we're blowing up this whole town. Like there isn't a, the world is turning <laughs> against it has initially turned against him. And again, if you go to this who am I question, if Clark felt the world had really turned against him and then he's with Zod, like I like then he would go, yeah, maybe I am a Kryptonian. Maybe I maybe I, you know, fuck this world. Mm. They don't like me, I don't like them. But that never happens. There's never a moment that you see because if the question is if dad says, which is problematic in different ways, because it's very different from Jonathan Kent, but if he says, Are you saying I shouldn't have saved the kids in the bus? And dad says, Maybe. Now that's not like the Jonathan Kent of any comics ever. But I will say okay, you want to change him, fine, then make that a thematic principle throughout the film and then have Clark have to face the decision of letting people die and have him have to make that decision yeah. after the world has turned on him. And then we have something that's resonant in terms of establishing his character and who he is, but we didn't really do it. And then in Batman v Superman, which I've only seen once, so uh, you know, I don't have Christopher... I don't understand Superman's behavior throughout that whole film. He's just acting like a jerk, and I don't understand why. Like, I, I really don't. And so, well, he feels rejected by, uh, or, or the world rejects him, and he doesn't know what to do with himself. But he's acting he's, like an asshole. Like, so yeah, I understand that. why the world's rejecting him. You know what I mean? Like, if he was acting really great and really nice, and the world is rejecting him, and then we saw a transition within that film, then I would go, okay, maybe. But yeah. I don't think that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, he's also trying to be murdered by Superman, or I'm sorry, by Batman. Yeah. Well, don't get me started on that. That that's just well, there's real problems on it. Their moms have Martha. the same name, so yeah, all's good. Martha. <laughs> but but again, this is the so this is the thing about Zack Snyder, and this is why I don't have much faith in the Zack in the Snyder cut, which is that. Oh, come on, wet blanket. All right, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you, you invited me on the show. <laughs> it's like, um, here's the, and, and, and on the cinephiles, all I do is praise movies. So I did say, like, yeah. just once. It's, it'll nice be to, it's, nice to see, it's nice to see this side of you. Yeah, the, the nasty, sarcastic, <laughs> critical. Didn't do side. prep. <laughs> didn't do prep. We're not going scene by scene, and we're yeah. going to take a dump on it. This yep, is, that's it. This is the three. Well, and the only reason I want to do Man of Steel, like you, we talked about some other truly bad movies. I think they're great things in Man of Steel. That's why, that's why it's interesting to me. Is like, why does it not achieve greatness? Yeah. Um, the, so the, with the, the Batman v Superman, they go, we want to do Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller, okay? One of the greatest moments of the confrontation fight between Batman and Superman in the fourth issue of Dark Knight Returns. One of the greatest moments in comic book history. It is not possible to do that in a movie. And the reason is, is what makes that work is that Batman and Superman have known each other for years. They've been partners together. They've been in the Justice League together. They have, a pay, they have a history together. And so when they have this final confrontation, it is the final confrontation that is the culmination of a long-term relationship. The guys in Batman v Superman, they never met. 
They have right. no relationship to each other. Yeah, it's the yeah. same reason that J.J. Abrams can't reproduce the death of Spock with the death of Kirk in, in Star Trek Into Darkness. It's because yes. we don't have all that history. So it yeah. doesn't work together. That's why I think Civil War, I don't know how you feel about that film, I think Mar uh, Captain America Civil War works so well yep. because they did have that uh, camaraderie and that, you know, cool. that building relationship up to that. Well, and you look, this is what the Marvel movies have done so well. And not all the movies are great, but they understand thematically what they're trying to do, you know? Right. We understand what Tony Stark's essential conflict is, and those essential conflicts, internal with his, like, am I, you know, too self-involved? Am I too egotistical? And, excuse me, and his relationship with Cap. We understand that Cap is always going, I don't think you're really going to self-sacrifice. And how does Avengers, uh, the first Avengers end? With him self-sacrificing. How does the last Avengers end? With him self-sacrificing. Like, each of these characters, they do such a good job of tracking what their emotional journey is and who they are going to become. You see Thor gets tracked. You see Hulk gets mm -hmm. tracked. You see all of them. All of that stuff is built over time. And so even though the, uh, the first Avengers, which I think is a really good movie, I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it's really good, we have yeah. a similar scene where we have the total destruction of New York. I don't have the right. problems with it that I have with Man of Steel because there's so many great character moments within that action sequence. Those characters are much more well-defined, yep. and even I might call them a little more simple, uh, but you at least know what you're going to get, and when the story moves in a different direction, you know, sort of, you can expect what everybody's going to do in in that new setting. So that that makes a lot more sense to me. I, I, so, I kind of prefer the DC. I have to say though, I kind of like this universe. I mean, despite its flaws, and I feel like I keep trying to stick I, up for it. I like. I, there's something I don't know if realism like is the tone. Right word. Yeah, the tone like, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I like the tone of this movie, or at least what it was trying to do, especially yeah. at the beginning when he's, you know, uh, on the on the um, the sh the boat at the beginning, and you know, in the bar, and then he, you know, uh, I love all that stuff. I love all that yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. It's great. Like if they kept that tone throughout the movie, like I think this, yeah, this could have achieved greatness. I th I think Henry Cavill again was is outstanding. So I love Superman. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Snyder's. Being really ambitious, and I think he is in almost all of his films. And sort of like maybe an an analogy uh, is is the Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. That one's got a lot of problems, but I love how ambitious it is, and it's part of my love for it. I just feel like Snyder's maybe he's doing too much and trying to pull in too many ideas, and then it gets a little bit muddled, and we're not. You yeah, I mean we sort of certainly broken through where where, where the failings were, but at the end of the day, I still kind of like where I was for that. Two and a half hours or so. I don't know. What, what, I, yeah. what I'd say, there's some directors who you just want to say, go do, go do what you do. Yeah. You know, we don't want to, you know, Akira Kurosawa, whatever you want to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell Akira Kurosawa anything. You know, <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. I don't like, I don't love every Quentin Tarantino movie, but I no. want Quentin Tarantino to be Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I think Zack Snyder needs to be somewhat contained. I think, <laughs> I think that he, he's incredibly talented in all sorts of ways. But I don't think he should be in charge of the story. So I think right. in 300 and Watchmen, it works better because he has such great source material. And I think here it works less well. So I think he needs someone who really understands story to be with him to help him out. So, And I don't think Christopher Nolan is the right person for this because while he's a far better filmmaker by far, his movies work best on ideas and on 
gut feeling more mm -hmm. than they do on kind of the inner workings of character and story. You know, like uh, Dark Knight is, it, it's a, if you really think about it, it's a kind of confused story. But, yes. right. but it looks amazing. The sequences are amazing. And obviously, the Joker is astounding. Right. You know, Heath Ledger. Well, and that's what I, yeah. I, I think. I also think that's a that's what kind of hinders people's view on the Dark Knight um, is, you know, Heath Ledger's performance is uh, it's not a perfect movie. Uh, no, you I know, think I, I think people the, the people, you know, a lot of people think it is because, you know, just the Joker is everything in that movie. But yet when you watch it, when you're actually watching the scenes without the Joker, it's it's definitely not a, a perfect movie. Um, well, when you look at Dark, is, Dark Knight Rises, which is not a good movie, you know. Oh, yeah. I agree 100%. I think that movie is – that well, we did a top 10, and that was I, one of my most overrated. I There's so much – there's so many. It got to the point with that movie. I'm like, well, just kill the whole city. <laughs> That's kind of where I got because I don't yeah. understand what what they're saying in this morality. What's even worth saving? I'm going to be like Raz Al Ghul here. I don't even know where I am. Well, it's so. like if Steven Spielberg were the executive producer for Zack Snyder, I'd feel a lot better because Steven yeah, Spielberg really understands how story works and what's important. You know, in in a, well, in a way that I don't think Christopher Nolan does. Uh, what are right. the prospects that uh, this? Well, this Snyder, the Snyder cut here for Justice League—that's going to be entirely in Snyder's hands. So we're going to get more of the same. It, I would, I would think, right? I mean, I hated Justice League. I, I, I just thought it was terrible, and uh, you know, it was one of those. I literally, I have a really good memory for story in general. I literally couldn't tell you what the hell was about. I was halfway through yeah. that movie, and I yes, <laughs> I, I didn't see it in the theater. I was it was when my kid was young, and I was just home, and I watched it with several cocktails to get through it. And so maybe <laughs> my memory is a little impaired. But I remember halfway through going, "Wait, that's the bad guy? I thought he was like a henchman <laughs> or something. Like this is really right. this is what we're fighting about, and this is it just it, was so be bewildering. And I don't know whose fault that is. Like I don't know where right. you know because it's two directors. I don't know." I don't understand what the process was. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah, what which one? Which, what part of it is Joss Whedon? What part of it is yeah. Zack Snyder? Yeah, I only saw it the one the time. Studio, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I only saw. The, I could only stomach the one time. So, uh, but yeah, I'll be interested to see the the Snyder cut, obviously. Um, and then, uh, real quick, uh, it, was it the the actual death scene of uh, Jonathan Kent, or was it just the the idea of the scene that you didn't like? I think the scene is done beautifully. I like Kevin Costner in the part. Yeah. I don't understand how it fits into the film. So, right. like, because again, if a central question is whether or not I should let people die, when do we see that manifest itself other than that moment in terms of the development of the character? And I just don't see it happening, you know? So, right. so yes, it it totally disagrees with my vision of who Jonathan Kent should be. I would that's not you know the the because you know when we have uh, Glenn Ford in seventy eight Superman say one thing I know son you are here for a reason yeah you know and then he dies from a heart attack and Clark says all these powers all these things I could do and I couldn't even save him well that resonates through the whole film. And in particular, when Lois, and I hate the turning back time, I think it's terrible and stupid. <laughs> it make any goddamn sense. No, it's horrible. <laughs> but, but when Lois has died, we think about that moment of all these powers and I couldn't even save him. And then he does bring Lois back. It yeah. still resonates in terms of the character. And so I don't think Jonathan Kent's death resonates in the film. Even It's well filmed. 
but right. I don't understand. Yeah, like in happening. the in in that moment, you kind of feel it, and it's like yeah, you know, it's a well shot, like you said. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, you, like you said, yeah, it doesn't. You don't think about it ever again because when that, is the know? right time right it doesn't the, the movie never really tells you when it, and it almost just sort of well because lois lane found me now it's the right time that doesn't really work either does it well well like think of th- again this is me rewriting the film is like let's say because <laughs> what what do we see what's the first thing we see of clark kent he saves the guys on the on the uh, oil rig right yeah so we immediately see him saving people's lives so there really isn't a question in the film of whether or not he's going to let people die in order to protect his identity. What if he didn't save them? He lets yeah. them die. And then Lois Lane gets shot and he is left with the choice of if I don't reveal myself in some way, Lois Lane is going to die. And he chooses right. to reveal himself to do something different from what his dad said and what we saw him do before. Then we see, because what we want to see, particularly in a Who Am I story, is characters reaching a decision point. Yeah. I can either go this way or this way. What am I going to do? Then they make the decision. That decision defines their character. I think that's brilliant. Uh, he could just be sitting there on the ship just looking you know, painfully as uh, he, you know, he can make that choice, but he, but he won't because maybe you can even throw in a Kevin Costner you know, voice mm-hmm. in there about something. Or, and then, yeah, we move. Uh, that's or that's, that's the moment at which he flashes back. Or like we've seen, we've seen Jonathan Kent's death. And and then later on, we're on the ship and he's in this moment trying to decide and we mm-hmm. flash back to Jonathan Kent's death again and we know that's what he's thinking of and he, and he turns away. Yeah, that would have been, that would have been great. Mm-hmm. That's the best rewrite so far, I think. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Steve Morris is rewriting. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm available, Hollywood Studios, anytime you <laughs> like. My, my fee is very reasonable. I'd be happy. I just want to know what bar you end up after the movie. Because I want to plant myself there. Uh, none now. Now the bar is in my uh, living room. It's very yeah, well stocked. Exactly. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I, I I hated the term world engine. I just want to throw that in there. That's in my notes here. I hated the term world engine. That was that was the worst. Um, it just yeah, just it was so cheesy. I, I I know they used it in the original Phantom Zone. I still don't like that. But you know what are you gonna do? What uh, uh, real quick? What what did I miss? I, I've seen this movie you know a few times, and then you know it's been a couple of years since I've seen it last. Um, what how, how did Zod and his crew get back out of? Uh, uh, out of their it is, pri- imprisonment or whatever. It is, it is slightly different. To pay, are you talking about in the '78 movies? In the, no, I'm talking about in this one. How how did they get out? Oh, there's some weird thing that like I don't know. Some I don't know. I don't even remember. It's like a there's a something happens in space or like a black hole or something, and then oh, okay. they escape, and then they find some other ship which they rebuild to make it to Earth. Or I don't care. <laughs> I just don't care. I don't care enough to explain this. Yeah. yeah. I think that just speaks on the, in, there's a lot of incoherence in this. So Steve, what, what were the great moments yeah. in this film? Let's what talk what, about what was a, or a great moment in this film? Uh, Besides, you know, the, obviously the him in the closet at all, school, all the kids stuff, all the grown up stuff. Or, um, yeah, I, 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 I really do like Amy Adams. I, I think yeah. she's really enjoyable yeah. on screen. Um, I think, again, it's visually great. You know, there's so many design elements, like uh, Superman's first flight where he has his hand on the ground and the pebbles start to vibrate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that stuff is really cool. Um, there, there, there's a lot of, 
I don't know, but there isn't like I like him with the handcuffs in the room where then he just pops the handcuffs and is looking for the two through the two way mirror. I think that's to make yeah, him feel cool. comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that stuff is really cool. Yeah. Um, I I think Russell Crowe is a great actor who's totally wasted. I think Michael Shannon is a great actor who's totally wasted. Um, I, yeah, I, I I don't have that many. That are, that are popping in my brain right now. They're than those. <laughs> For me, I'll um, maybe repeat this movie. To me, it, yes, it's got its problems, but to me, it's it's the Snyder style. It's very evocative. I get sadness, tragedy. That is, there is a feeling of hope that we maybe didn't talk about enough. I think it does exist. There's one of love, and mm-hmm. maybe that. That romance between between uh, Superman and, and Lois that I I feel it I think it's real uh, maybe they could have done better with Amy Adams but I think um, more I would have liked to see more, more yeah. of their well and, and and I would say one drawback to the way they structure it with revealing that she knows who Clark Kent is at the beginning is in general most romance in film happens through conflict mm-hmm. so if you think about Han and Leia you think about you know all, every romantic comedy ever made is that there's always we need conflict between the two characters before they fall in love the opposite right. being the prequels you know in clone in, in attack of the clones where they just say i love you so much i love you you're like the wind and i am a flower and i you know it's like it's like shut up is that i love you and i hate sand yeah, yeah sand is coarse and irritating well on the other hand you're very soft yeah. so. so so i i wish there had been like again if we had superman as a character in conflict like he doesn't know if he wants to save the world and yeah. lois is like you got to get off your ass and save the world you know right. you have a response if then then she because mostly she's just an observer she doesn't I mean, she like, I don't know why she's on the military they, aircrafts and stuff like that. Yeah, but. they forced her in, or, you know, that, yeah, it was, they, they were totally forced her in these situations. Yeah, they forced point. her onto the ship, uh, you know, the military ship, forced her onto the, onto Zod ship. Uh, you know, it just, and, and then for her, I, that, I guess that was, you know, back when I said it kind of threw me off, you know, about Lois uh, knowing his identity already and then not giving it up to uh, her Lawrence Fishburne. Um, it's just why put that character in that predicament so soon? Like she barely knows the dude. Like why? Why? I guess I mean, to answer my own question, I guess he did save her and, you know, all that. But I just feel it 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 it, it, it well, just wasn't enough well, there 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 needed to be more build up well and how it. much does she know about him or he know about her for them to fall in love with each other well and and again right, now yeah. cuz cuz this is cuz i'm rewriting the movie so imagine this scene <laughs> so um clark is indecisive okay he doesn't know if he wants to save the world or save people he's like i'm i because that's what his dad told him is maybe not hide and mm-hmm. he's with lois lane and lois is like damn it there are people could die and she takes a passionate thing and then she slaps him in the face slaps him <laughs> right in the face and goes ow and like i think right. i broke my hand and he looks at it and goes no it's not broken because he has, uses x-ray vision right and, and then and then and that's what makes him go and she goes you know like if you don't go do this right now i am going to i'm going to announce i'll announce you to the world you don't want anyone to find out about you. I'm going to tell every single person about them, right? You know, you have to go do this. And then you go, damn, this Lois Lane chick is really cool. You know? Right. 
Yeah, yeah, something like that I could have bought into. Um, so yeah, if if you could write the next one, that would be great. Um, just you know, Again, do what you, 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 you got to do. My, my Twitter <laughs> address is at sr morris. Send me a message, and I will <laughs> happily. I, you know, if it's one, somewhere in the one or two million dollar range, I'm very happy to write the next. Yeah. I mean, everyone at Warner Brothers listens to this podcast, so I think I, I think you have good, a good shot. It's top of their playlist. <laughs> C- yeah, Cinephiles, sure. I hope, is like right underneath. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, we'll see. Definitely underneath. Uh, <laughs> um, what? Uh, so you know, but, but to the end, and then final thoughts. Uh, uh, him killing Zod. Uh, I'll, I'll give my thoughts first, since I always put it on you guys. Um, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it per se. Uh, it's just the problem I've always had with Superman is, first of all, modern day, he's very, it's hard to make him look not cheesy with the cape and the flying and the, you know, the the tight pants and everything like that. It's hard to make him not look cheesy. Secondly, how, how do you use his powers effectively? He's unstoppable. Um in him just being able to snap Zod's neck out of nowhere, like it kind of is inconsistent to me. Like it's hard to keep these these powers in check, uh, you know, without kryptonite or uh, anything like that. But I mean, that's that's just my thoughts on basically Superman in 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 you know in summary. <laughs> what do you guys think? You can go ahead, Steve. Um. So. Superman is a challenging character for exactly the reasons you say. Um, a lot of people think, oh, he's too pure. He's too much of a Boy Scout. He doesn't fit in the world today. We need, we're need we more cynical. I don't think that's true at all. And I think Captain America is a perfect example of why that's not true. It's it's you, right. you place the Boy Scout in contrast with the world. And you create conflicts through the environment that he's in. Because even if you are perfectly moral, you still have to make choices. And sometimes those aren't easy choices. Certainly right. for Captain America, they're very difficult choices. So I don't see that as a problem. His power level is a problem. But that's pretty much neutralized when you have other Kryptonians he's fighting. The issue with the, the, the killing Zod, there are a lot of people who say, oh, he shouldn't have Superman kill. I think given the structure of that scene and the way it happens, there is no choice. He has to kill Zod. Right. That's not my problem with it. I, here are my two problems with it. One is I would never have Superman commit, kill someone in the first movie. Because in the first movie, it's about establishing who the character is. And if you have him kill someone in the first movie, you're kind of establishing, yeah, he'll kill people if he has to. Right. If, if you have has, him yeah. do everything in his power to not kill people in the first movie and have him kill someone in the second, then it becomes a big deal. And, in fact, and again, it goes to this thematically establishing something. If Jonathan Kent says, you are so powerful... You must do everything you can to preserve life. Murder is the way, you know, if Jonathan Kent was a conscientious objector, you know, that he refused to fight in the war, like he was a medic in, in, the, right. in the Gulf War or something like that, but he, he wouldn't hold a gun, you know, he saved lives and, and like makes this a point. And then we see Superman choose not to kill somewhere else in the movie, and then he does kill. Well, this would be really dramatic, but it's not really dramatic because he doesn't really have a choice and then he does it, you know? Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're, you're looking at on. the first two films because in the first film we get crypt in the '78 movie we get Kryptonite and then in the second movie we get Zod and then they just sort of they basically just flip flop it here right we get right. Zod in the first movie and then Kryptonite in the second one so yeah I mean that decision I mean 
I don't know how you'd get rid of Zod without killing him. I guess they could have done something else. But I, I do understand your point, what you're saying. Because, I mean, the plan for this was, I believe, five movies, in fact, not even a trilogy. Snyder had a five-movie plan. And, yeah, if you just kind of bust that uh, nut in the first movie, then, yeah, there's no, more, there's no more drama related to that anymore. Although, I mean, I guess for me, who's someone who doesn't, have a love a pre-existing love for the character i don't care if he kills anybody to me there's there's nothing in its on its own immoral about killing you know given the circumstance that's that's obviously how we that's how we establish you know laws with the difference between manslaughter self-defense and murder so well, I don't, in, in this to me, that's in this circumstance ahead. you're right there yeah. it's the moral choice to kill him and I don't know why. I just, I guess, I don't get the big deal. Is kind of my point. But uh, I don't know. But but I do understand what you, what you're saying, Steve. If since it is seems to be a, a big deal for the history of the character to to kind of sort of do that, then maybe it would have been better to considering that there are you've got four more movies to go. Maybe we save this for something really big. Not 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 this nemesis that we've all already seen. You know, back in the old movie kind of a thing. Well, and what if it? What if instead of um, uh instead of it being in the heat of battle where he's literally about to incinerate a family where there really is no choice. What if in the second or the third movie, Superman realizes that the only way to stop this person from doing a heinous act is to kill him and then has to plan to do it. Like I'm actually going to go kill this guy. That's a very different circumstance that has a lot more moral character weight to it than the way it happens in the film. I agree. That presents more of a gray area. Yeah. I would have liked to see something there. Yeah, there is no, yeah. So it's like, that's right. So you sort of, I understand the point. It's that we, we click, you can quickly dismiss the, the blowback because you're like, well, he didn't have a choice. But then it's like, well, maybe he should have had more of a choice is, is, is your point, which I understand. Well, and, and, and my objection to the scene is not actually that he kills the guy. My objection is that it, it's not a big deal. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, I would have killed him too. You know, right. anybody would have killed him. I mean, yeah, who's I mean, going to say right. don't so, kill him? Let's move on. You know, yeah, it wasn't this like challenging moment for the character. It was just like, right. mm, got to do what I got to do here, and boom. I mean, imagine if gone. Superman right. killed someone because he thought that was the only way to save someone, and and the person was innocent. Yeah, you know, right. or the wrong person, or he could have saved them had he done. Had, he could have stopped them without killing them, but he didn't know something. Well, now we have a character racked with guilt, and we have things to explore, which I don't think this gives it to us. No. Are you okay with Batman killing people in Batman v Superman? Uh, no. And, and, yeah. and here's here's I, so first my my first problem with it is they made Batman way too tough in that movie. Like he's getting repeatedly shot, you know. It, you know, and I know he's got body armor on and stuff, and he's just getting up and like. I mean, he gets. I forget. Does he get like shot in the head and knocked out or something at the? Yes. Yeah, and then yeah. he gets up and fights some more. It's like, no, you, <laughs> part of Batman is Batman has to be human. He's a really amazing right. human, but he has to be human. And it's not. And, and my problem with him killing people in the movie is that, again, it's not really important. He's just killing a bunch of people. You know, that yeah. it's not. Yeah, I, I, I actually, it's not earned. Yeah. I, by the way, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with anybody who's played Batman. I always have a problem. I, I don't I think Val Kilmer could have made a good Batman. I think George Clooney could have made a good Batman. Michael Keaton's a good Batman. Problems always come from what they ask those Batmans to do. I think yeah, right. I actually really like Ben Affleck's Batman. I just don't like what they asked him to do. That's a really like right. the Batman yeah. who is the kind of sophisticated, a little bit older, the great detective, really smart guy. That's a totally that's in a bunch of those comics I have back there. I'm totally yeah, there cool was, with that Batman. 
Yeah, there were some horror elements in Batman vs Superman, which were just so cool. Which I loved. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I yeah, I, I definitely liked uh, Ben Affleck as Batman, and like you said, yeah, I, I really didn't uh, have a problem. Like I loved Val Kilmer as Batman. Like I thought he, I think you the know, movie's terrible. He was a good choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The movie yeah, is not good. Um, and but uh, but it was still a good choice for Batman, um, especially Val Kilmer at that time. So uh, you know, before we explain to you our rating system is there anything else about this film you wanted to get off your chest no i think you guys have pumped me dry <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay i thought so i thought so um so we rate films uh two ways based on their quality and their entertainment value so we do uh five st- you know up to five stars is the quality cinematic it's a lot value. more complicated than it really I know. is <laughs> why don't you explain no, it I, I listen i've listened to your show i know what it is okay, okay. So it's, five, <laughs> okay. it's popcorns right Popcorns? Yeah, popcorns Stars and for popcorns. like entertainment value. It. Like, yeah. yeah. All right. So, <laughs> no uh, Dave, why, why do you start us off, Dave? Uh, uh, out of five, yeah. What's your what's your rating for this film? And thank you, Steve, for listening to the show. Uh, did you? Was it the uh, was it the John show or was it a different? I listened one? to like three or four because I, I don't want to go wow. on a show unless I know, understand what the show is. So I listened to yeah. John's. I listened to Commando. I listened oh. to. Um, <laughs> There was another. I can't remember what the other ones were. Um, That's okay if you yeah. don't remember. But but thank you. Um, You're welcome. All right. So I'm gonna say yeah on this. Um, I'm gonna say three stars because I think it's a. Despite the initial conversation which led to this film, which is we're going to talk a bad movie, I still think it's a good movie that's got some problems. And in terms of, I think it's actually, you know what, three and three. I think it's, I think this is a, this is an example of a good movie. It's not great, but it's not bad. Uh, so three stars, three buckets of popcorn. I wish, you know, even if, if we could just chop something off of the beginning um and just shorten it just a little bit i think i would say five buckets of popcorn and then of course if we could uh do steve rewrites we might be at five stars so that's my <laughs> of course um i'll uh, yeah i'll go next uh, so yeah i'm gonna go with uh two and a half stars um i uh, yeah the the tone of the movie at the very beginning was great uh you know the whole him you know trying to find his find himself everything like that i thought was great got it kind of convoluted at the end uh so yeah two and a half out of five and uh i'm gonna give it three and a half buckets of popcorn i think it had great action great uh you know i i don't think i was ever necessarily bored in the movie uh 100 uh so yeah i think it was it was at least entertaining uh in that aspect so yeah two and a half stars three and a half buckets of popcorn all right steve you can do halves i'll allow it Okay, well, Dave does not do halves. Um, I, I'm yeah, going to say Go two ahead. stars because there is lots of good things in it, and that's that's why you know I realized when I had said a bad movie, and you started talking about the room and some other stuff. It's like, no, that's not what yeah. I really mean. What I mean is, I'm is, glad I asked. Yeah, what I mean is, is that because I, I have no interest in talking about bad movies, but what is right. interesting, what makes this interesting to me, is there are actually a lot of good things. Um, so, so there are a lot of good things. It just barely makes it to two stars, and I give it three buckets of popcorn. You know, it's fun to watch. Right. Yeah. All right. Cool. Absolutely. There you go. That was a uh, rating from Steve Morris, uh, filmmaker and directing instructor. Uh, be sure to listen to the Cinephiles every Friday. Correct. Fridays. Yeah, yep, Steve. Uh, how can everybody follow all the great things that they do if they want to hear more of your uh, uh, amazing insights? Well, definitely subscribe to the Cinephiles. We do one great film every week. Sometimes they're two parters, and it is a deep, 
deep dive. It's we go moment by moment. Frequently, our episodes are far longer than the movie. Uh, there's a lot of history, a lot of research, and a lot of analysis goes into it. Um, the cinephiles you can follow on. Uh, Twitter at Cine underscore Files. Files is with an F, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. Uh, to subscribe on iTunes, it's C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S. On Instagram, it's the Cinephiles Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at S.R. Morris and on Instagram at S.R. Morris 1. You guys also have a Patreon, right? We do. Patreon.com slash the Cinephiles. Excellent. There you go. And is there any uh, projects you can talk about you're working on now, directing-wise or anything like that? No, but you can certainly go watch Beyond the Cage of Fear, my Great White Shark oh, movie. Yes. It's on Amazon Prime. And you can watch my feature, The Assistance, is on iTunes, and it's starring Joe Montaigne, Jane Seymour, and Stacey Keach that I wrote Excellent. and directed nice. and edited that one. All right. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Steve, it's been a pleasure. We really appreciate you having on. You can come, come back anytime. Absolutely. Oh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yep. Uh, Dave, uh, where can they find you? Find me at Dave underscore Quist. I'm not going to spell it out because I can't spell. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I am at BC Cord. You can find our podcast at Blockbuster Cast. And be sure to subscribe to iTunes, rate us, review us, blah, 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 blah. All right, folks. Well, that is it for us. For Steve and Dave, I'm Ben. And as always, grab some popcorn, grab some snacks. We'll catch you guys at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>